Tonight we're starting a short series called Preparing for the Passion. And there's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, Resurrection Weekend is coming soon. And we usually spend a lot of time preparing or building up for Christmas, but not so much for Easter. Have you ever noticed that? And that's really too bad. Because you could easily make the case that though Christmas is critical, you could easily make the case, I think, that Easter is many times more important than Christmas. In a sense, you can't have Easter without Christmas, all right? So it is important. But if you had Christmas without Easter... Write down 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17. The Bible says, if that were the case, if Christ has not risen, we have no hope. If Christ has not risen, he cannot back what he said. He's defeated. He lost. And we are still in our sins. And the Bible says that we would be, of all men, most miserable. Because we've put our faith and our trust in him that he could not come through. Thank God the work has been completed. He has risen from the dead. And so we need to think about that. We need to give that some emphasis. But also, I don't know if you realize this or not, but the emphasis that God puts on the Passion Week in his word. Have you noticed that when you're reading the Gospels, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have you noticed the large amount of space devoted to Jesus last week on this earth. In fact, did you realize this? Listen to this quote. Of the 89 chapters in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four chapters, an average of one per gospel, deal with the first 30 years of Jesus' life, while 85 chapters deal with the last three years of his life. And 27 to 30, according to how you number them, according to how you break them up, but about 27 to 30 of those 85 chapters that deal with the last three years of Jesus' life deal with specifically the last eight days of his life. That means about 30% of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John deals with the last week or so of Jesus' life. Isn't that incredible? That's almost one out of every three chapters In the Gospels, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Apparently, this part of Jesus' life, God's saying, hello, this is important. This is something that I want you to know about, and I want you to understand clearly. And that's what we're going to study over the next few weeks together. In fact, we're going to narrow it down even further. It's certainly valid to say, you know, let's study that whole week, but we're going to focus on actually Thursday and Friday of the last week of Jesus' life here on this earth before the cross. And tonight we're going to focus on the thing that we call the Last Supper in Matthew 26, verses 17 through 30. And before we we begin to dig into that, let's think about some of the things that had happened earlier that week, because obviously those are important. We're not going to have time to look at them tonight, but I want to encourage you to go back and look. What were some of the events leading up to this Last Supper on Thursday night? After about three years of public ministry, of teaching, of preaching, of healing, of ministering, First of all, we see Jesus, we call it the triumphal entry, where he he enters into Jerusalem. He's riding on a donkey, and there's there's crowds cheering for him, and they're waving what? What do we call that? Palm Sunday. They're they're waving those palm branches. 
that was, they recognized, and they were right, that was a direct fulfillment of a messianic prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. The people recognized this is something the Messiah is supposed to be doing, and here he is right now. We also see Jesus visit the temple, the place that was supposed to represent God's presence here on this earth among his people and from which God would work to touch all the nations. God goes and visits that place and he finds a bunch of criminals. Swindlers, yeah. He says, my my place is supposed to be a house of prayer, but you've made a place where thieves can hide out. We see Jesus anointed for burial by a lady with expensive perfume. We see Jesus doing a lot of teaching, and we see a plot beginning to unfold among Judas and the Jewish religious leaders to take Jesus' life. But then in these verses that we're looking at tonight, he begins to turn towards something that we still practice and celebrate to this day. In fact, guess what? If you missed last week, we did last weekend. We celebrated something called the Lord's Supper. Some people call it communion. Some people call it the Eucharist. All of those are appropriate ways of referring to it because there's many different aspects to it. But tonight we're going to focus on just a few of those. The first thing we want to talk about is how that last supper that Jesus celebrated with his disciples was actually related to something that had happened about fourteen to 1,500 years before that. I want us to think about, first of all, the foundation for the Lord's Supper. In verses 17 through 19, it says, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is near. I am to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. The disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. The Bible tells us that Jesus and his disciples began to get ready for something called the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover. Now, if you're not Jewish, it's kind of difficult for you to understand what's going on here. The season of Passover and the season of Unleavened Bread were actually two separate back-to-back celebrations that lasted for eight days. And they were together one of the most important, and you could make the case, the most important time of the year for the Jewish people, primarily because of the thing called the Passover. Thousands of people. Now, again, we're preparing for the Passion, okay? We're thinking about what's happening as we're kind of building towards the cross, as we're building towards Easter. What is Jesus? What is our Lord going through? And you can just picture people all around town. It's almost like a parade. It's almost like they had Mardi Gras recently, didn't they, in New Orleans. It's kind of that image of just all this stuff going on, all this, all this hustle and bustle. Even some people said maybe as, mil- as many as millions of people would have been in Jerusalem during this time. Very crowded. Uh, does America kind of bring any images to your mind? Okay. <laughs> Homes would have been packed as this celebration was supposed to be celebrated in Jerusalem, and it had to be celebrated in groups of at least 10 people per home. Now, if you want to go back and read about the Passover, it's one of the most important events in history, not just among the Jewish people, but amongst God's work in this world and his work in our lives. It certainly relates to that. You can go back and read Exodus chapter 12. But basically, it involved the people eating bitter herbs that would have been dipped into a mixture of nuts and fruits and vinegar and and things like that to kind of reduce the bitterness 
the eating of unleavened bread, the eating of a roasted lamb, and the drinking of a series of several cups. And intermingled in that would have been some singing and some scripture reading. Now, actually, I was at the bookstore last night, and I picked up. I thought it was kind of cool. They had some things that talked about the Jewish Seder, okay, the Jewish celebration of the Passover. And there's some materials on the back table. If you're interested in that, it's kind of cool to look at. It's really very, very interesting to look at what were the steps that they would have gone through with their Passover meal. But the main imagery behind all of that some of you may be aware, was the lamb that was slain for each household. What would happen is they would bring this lamb into their house on the 10th of the month, and they would keep it until the 14th of the month. And I think there's even some imagery in that. They were going to get, you bring an animal into your kid's house, what happens? You develop a relationship. There was, there was something there. There was an affinity. It wasn't just any old animal. And they would bring this lamb in on the 14th of the month. They would slay that animal, and they would put the blood of that animal over their doorpost, reminding them of the same very thing that had happened back in Egypt when God had delivered his people out of slavery and brought them towards the promised land. It was the last plague in Egypt. And God said this, he says, if you will take that, that, the blood of the lamb that was slain and you will put that over your doorpost, when the death angel comes through, when God's judgment comes upon Egypt, God will pass over your house. Hundreds of thousands of lambs would have been slain that week. Are you getting the image? There are people bumping into each other. There are lambs bleeding. And then there are lambs, you know, you hear the sound of the animals in the streets. And that Passover is what provides the foundation for what we're looking at tonight in Matthew 26. Over 1,400 years of celebration, millions of lambs being sacrificed. But as Chris said last week, those lambs were just a picture God works in pictures, aren't you glad? <laughs> God works in pictures. He knows we need to see things. And he, for, thousand, for, uh, for about 1,400 years, he was saying to his people over and over again, every time they would celebrate that, it was a reminder that God, they were going to have to put their trust in God, that someone was going to have to die for their sins. And if they put their trust in God, by the blood of the Lamb, God would pass over and spare their lives. During that week, as Jesus was celebrating what his people, the Jewish people, had celebrated for hundreds of years, he, the true Lamb of God that can take away the sins of the world, was preparing to die. Can you imagine as he was walking those streets, as he was celebrating this, this wasn't just imagery for him. He was going to die on the cross. He is, as John said, the Lamb of God. It was going to take away the sins of the world. As we prepare for the passion, we've got to understand what was going on during that time. All those people in the streets, the, all the imagery, all the things that were happening, all the history behind all that, and Jesus Christ becoming the fulfillment of all that God had promised through the Passover. All that forms the foundation for the Last Supper. But I also want to talk to you about the tragedy that happened that night. It says in verse 20, Now when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve disciples. As they were eating, as they were sharing together, the Passover, he says, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. 
being deeply grieved, that each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. And he answered, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man is to go, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Wow. And Judas, who was betraying him, said, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. Have you ever been in a tough spot and just needed somebody to understand and to be there for you? And not only did they not understand, but they made it harder to deal with the situation. If you love the Lord, there must be something in your heart that goes out to him right here that loves him more because of this. In his darkest hour, listen, we're preparing for Easter. We're wanting to understand. I don't want to just show up Easter weekend and go, okay, Jesus rose from the dead. Amen? As God's preparing our heart, we need to see the Son of God, the sinless, perfect Son of God in his darkest hour, and guess who was there for him? Nobody. And that shows up in a couple of ways. First of all, there was Judas, the traitor. If you read just a little bit earlier, in Matthew 26, verses 3 through 4, you find out the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together with the high priest, and they were plotting together to seize Jesus and to kill him. Then you find out in verse 14, it says, Then one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me to betray him to you? And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him. From then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. There was a plan brewing. The, rid- the religious leaders had always opposed Jesus. Now, I want you to think about that for just a minute before we move on. Doesn't that sound like an oxymoron? The religious leaders had all... Doesn't that scare you? Church people were the people that most opposed Jesus when he was here on this earth. Does that bother you as much as it does me? He was a threat to them. He was a threat to their power over the people. And he was a threat personally to the sin in their lives. And those so-called spiritual people that everybody was supposed to look up to wanted God eliminated. Isn't that drastic? And they were able to find someone in his inner group who would help them do that. And by the way, you just need to know something. This didn't surprise Jesus. He knew it was going to happen. He allowed it to happen. He had a plan. He was going to fulfill that plan. But still, it didn't hurt any less. Amen? Here's how little Judas and those religious leaders thought of their creator. That Jesus was lightly esteemed was reflected not only in his betrayal, but in the low amount of money agreed upon by Judas and the chief priests. Basically, Judas gave up Jesus for the price of a slave. 30 pieces of silver. We usually think of Judas, but what about those other knuckleheads, the other disciples? They didn't get it, did they? Have you ever seen somebody that was dying and in the midst of that person leaving this world, people are arguing what they're going to get out of their estate? Have you ever seen that before? Brothers and sisters or or whatever, people trying to figure out who's going to get what? Well, that's what was happening to Jesus. While he's getting ready to die for them, while he's saying to them, one of you is going to betray me, 
They went into a conversation. If you write down Luke chapter 22, verses 23 through 27, in that passage, the disciples, this is crazy. You ever get frustrated with people? How would you like to be dying for them? And they get into this conversation, and they began to discuss among them. Jesus just said, somebody's going to betray me. And they began to say, oh, that brings up a good point. They began to discuss which one it was going to be, and there also arose a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be greatest. Who's the most spiritual here tonight? I vote for me. No, I vote for me. And we get into an argument. Can't you imagine God just kind of saying, please. The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it is not this way with you. But the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the servant. In fact, it appears from John chapter 13 that all of this discussion happened after Jesus had just got through washing their feet. Jesus had demonstrated to them one of the most lowliest actions that someone, one of the most servant, what if tonight? What if I said, okay, let's break out. Take your shoes off. Take your socks off. I'm going to go take this bowl. I'm going to dip it in that water over there, and I'm just going to start washing. What would you say? <laughs> no, that's all right. That's all right. Even today, we see that as a very servant thing to do. No, no, no. That's a very, that's no. How about God doing that for you? He had just done that, and now the guys that were supposed to be closest to him were jockeying for position. Whenever we celebrate the Lord's Supper, whenever we think about what Jesus Christ went through for us, we ought to think about this. God, am I just missing it? Am I just clueless? God, am I singing songs? Am I reading scripture? Am I even serving you in some way? But I am just not getting it. Does that scare you as much as it does me? It is easy for us to be around the things of God and miss God, amen? You find that? Let it motivate you not to be like them. It was a tragedy. Most of his disciples didn't have a clue what was going on. And one of his disciples was giving him up for the price of a slave. The last thing I want to talk about is the purpose of the Last Supper. You ever try to do something with your family and there's just so much drama getting ready for it that you almost just say, never mind. <laughs> I've lost I've lost the magic. Amen. <laughs> it just really doesn't even matter anymore. I don't know what kept the Lord, I, I do know from his word. I mean, just trying to relate to him, I, I could see just saying, forget about it. The Bible actually says he was very intentional. He was intent. He set his face towards Jerusalem because he loved us so much. But you know, it wasn't just, okay, here's somebody stabbing me in the back and here's some guys that are just kind of clueless it wasn't just frustrating it wasn't just hurtful but friends listen he was about i can't even begin to process he was about to take upon himself the sins of the world 
Now tonight, let me ask you, how easy is it for you to carry your own problems? It's impossible. It, it's overwhelming. It, it just, it drowns you, doesn't it? You ever been in a position where somebody came to you and said, buddy, and you, said, you would say to him, buddy, I feel for you. I feel your, I know you're hurting, but right now I'm not in a position to help you because I'm in such a mess myself. I just, I just can't, I don't have anything to give. Anybody ever feel like that? Okay, well, you take me and you take that person that I turned down and then you take all other six and a half billion people that are alive right now and all the other billions that have ever lived on the face of the earth. And sometimes I like to say Jesus became the lightning rod of God. His wrath was concentrated in that moment upon Jesus Christ. And he knew what he was going for. But he continued on anyway. In our passage in verses 26, it says, While they were eating, while they were celebrating that Passover together, Jesus took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, we can kind of debate. We don't, you can go back and look at the material I've got in the back if you want to kind of look at that Jewish Passover meal. We can kind of debate when was it in the meal. But people kind of speculate which cup because many people believe there, are, there seems to be evidence that there were four cups. There was a series of cups that they would have celebrated. And it's kind of interesting to think about. We don't know for sure. I don't know that we know for sure. But at some point in the meal... He took the unleavened bread and he told them, this bread represents me and what I'm about to do. Now, obviously, it wasn't his actual body because guess what? He was sitting right there. Amen? He was still alive. And it's no more his actual body today. It's not a magical celebration. It's a meaningful celebration. It means something. That bread represents the precious body of Christ that he gave for us. And then later he takes the cup and he says, this cup represents my blood, the blood of a new covenant, which they knew about. God had talked about a new covenant in the book of Jeremiah and in the Old Testament. That new covenant was going to provide forgiveness, real forgiveness. It was not going to be a picture. The picture were the lambs, and he was going to fulfill all of that. Again, Chris talked about some of this last week, but let me read to you out of Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 14. In comparing that old covenant with this new covenant that Jesus said he was establishing, it says, but when Christ appeared, and the amazing thing is, Jesus becomes the sacrifice and the presenter of the sacrifice. By the way, when you ever wonder about your salvation, you can also read over in Hebrews chapter 6. God made a promise to himself. He made a covenant with himself, and God can't break promises. Isn't that neat? Yes. Your salvation is not based on anything you do or don't do. It is based on the faithfulness of God. It says, but when Christ appeared, we had that old way. 
It was a picture. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. There was an earthly tabernacle. It was a picture. God wanted us to see. It helps me when I hear about the things Chris shared about last week. When I read the Old Testament, when I see the imagery in the tabernacle, that helps me understand about God. Amen? But that is a picture. It is an image of a greater uh, visual that God wants me to have in my mind. He says, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, not on this earth, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place, how many times? Once for all, having obtained what kind of redemption? Eternal redemption. How long does that last? Lasts forever, doesn't it? For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, you hear the emphasis here? Sounds like it was enough, doesn't it? Who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish, perfect sacrifice, without blemish to God, how much more will he cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Isn't that awesome? Jesus said, you're here in town. You're celebrating this observance that God said that my people are to observe throughout the generations. But I'm here to tell you, I am here to fulfill that. I am the ultimate. This is what this celebration was all about. Then he spoke about the future, which later they no doubt would remember. Jesus said, I'm about to die, but one day we're going to celebrate this again. That sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? If somebody says they're about to die and then they're going to celebrate again, what does that say? Well, even I can figure that out. What? Hello? He's coming back to life, isn't he? I'm sure the disciples thought of those words later. And now when we celebrate it, it is not only the Last Supper, it is the Lord's Supper, isn't it? It is something we remember now you see, we've got the cheat sheets. I mean, we got, we got the easy answers. They were trying to figure out all these images. And let's give them a little bit of grace, amen? I don't know if I would have picked up on all the clues. Would you? God was trying to teach them things. But later, they would look back like we have the ability to look back and say, aha, now we see that was not only, that was not only Passover, that was the Last Supper, and not only was it the Last Supper, it was the Lord's Supper. It was something that he instituted for us, that he did for us. It was communion. Some people call it that. Why do we call it communion? Because we, it symbolizes our union, our closeness with him and also with who? With one another, doesn't it? Some people call it the Eucharist. It means good grace. That means thanksgiving. Isn't it a celebration? Don't we celebrate? What if it had never happened? We'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? Like the Passover. Now listen, in the Passover, there was, a le- there was a level of solemnness. Remember the bitter herbs? The bitter herbs reminded them of, we just came out of slavery. We came out of a bad thing, and God was reminding them, I've delivered you from something. We need to check ourselves when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We need to remember we came from somewhere. Amen? 
Sometimes when you've been a Christian for a little while, you, you start thinking that you've always been like, you know, halfway decent. Well, why don't you just rewind? Well, why don't you just ask your mom, first of all? <laughs> yeah. Or ask some people you knew in high school. <laughs> or, or ask your spouse. <laughs> right? We need to check ourselves. Like the Passover, there is some level of readiness. You find in Exodus chapter 12, God was saying to them, they need to be ready to move. They, they need to, to make sure they weren't being lazy. They need to check themselves in their relationship with God. But mostly, this for us is a celebration. The purpose of the Last Supper is for, is for us to remember, it's for us to reflect, and it's for us to rejoice. We remember, we look back, and we say, God, what have you done in my life? Isn't that what the Passover was for the Jewish people? Don't ever forget that you used to be in slavery and I delivered you. It's to reflect. It's to say, God, here I am right now. I can look at the past. I can celebrate what you've done back there. I can look at the future. I need to do that. But God, what are you doing in my life right now? And it's to rejoice. He even hinted here. I'm coming back. Amen. I'm coming back. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you remember the Lord's death until he comes. Isn't that a weird statement? You remember the Lord's death until he comes back. He's alive, isn't he? Thank God. You know, as we move closer and closer to Easter, we know what the end of the story is, don't we? He's risen. And we're going to celebrate that. But we need to remember there was a price that was paid to get there. There were many people and events on the way. And I hope that you, like me, this week, as I've just been kind of working through this many times around Easter time, it's just like, you know, maybe we celebrate a day or two, a few days before Easter. We have some special services, maybe the week before. But I pray this year that God would just begin to prepare your heart, that you would go back and read some of these things that happened in the life of Christ, that you would consider what Jesus did for you on that week. Because we're not Jewish, many of us lose that background, don't we? Maybe you'd go look at some of the the material about the Jewish Passover. It's pretty cool, actually. Some of the things that they did. Maybe God would speak to you through that. We're a part of a heritage, aren't we? We're part of a great history throughout the years. Sometimes I think as Christians, as American Christians, we can be so flippant with God. He's our buddy, or, you know, he's just kind of, certainly he's close to us, but he is big, amen? He's been around a while, doing some things. Do you like to take up for people when they're, when people put them down? What about your Lord? He was rejected. In the very moments, when from a human point of view, he would have needed the most support. What was everybody doing? Either intentionally turning their back on him or just kind of clueless to what he was talking about. Would that draw you close to Jesus tonight? Have you ever felt alone? Have you ever needed somebody to pay attention to some needs that you have? Can you imagine in those moments when he was going to do the greatest sacrifice that anyone had ever committed and there was nobody there for him? Doesn't that endear you to your Lord tonight? 
God, I love you. Thank you for being willing to be alone for me for those few moments. And would you tonight just think about what was Jesus trying to say to us? What was that last supper? What was he saying to his disciples? What, what is it? You know, many times we think, oh, if I had been there, I would have worshipped him. You know how I can show I would have worshipped him back then? Worship him right now. I don't need any more than what I have right now. I've got his full word and I've got his spirit working in my life. You know, it's kind of hard to reproduce that image in our minds, isn't it? It's kind of hard to put ourselves there. But tonight, I want to ask you just to bow with me for just a moment. Would you just for a few moments, like the disciples, I'm worried about me and my life and what I've got going on. Would you just for a few moments just try to put yourself in? What was it like? What would it have been like? What was God trying to say? What was God up to? What, what am I going to miss here, God? Is it possible that God's wanted to do something in your life over the next few weeks? That if you're not careful, you're going to miss. Would you ask him to help that not happen? Jesus, would you take me to that place? Would you help me to see things like you see things? Would you help me to hear your voice clearly? Would you help me not to miss what you're doing right now in my life? God, you know how hard it is for us. We're separated by thousands of years. The culture gets in the way. We don't quite understand all that was going on. Many of us, most of us are far removed from that era. But Lord, I just have to believe that you want Easter to be more than just one day or one weekend. There's something more you're wanting to do in my life. And so I pray that you would just begin whatever that is right now tonight in each one of our hearts. God, take us to that place. I can't talk us into that place. I can only share what your word says and call upon your name by the power of your spirit and your powerful word to open up our understanding tonight. Would you come meet here with us, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the value of kind of working through something for a few weeks. I don't know if you're like me, but I, I'm pretty I'm pretty sick. It takes me a little while. Is that what you need to say to the Lord? Lord, tonight, I'm not anywhere near this. But I thank you that I sense you're calling our church family to give you a little more focus this Easter season. And I don't want to miss. So God, would you just begin to pull back the layers? Sometimes I just have to be honest and say, well, I don't even know what the layers are. Amen? God, I'm over here. But I'm not sure where you are. Would you bring me to that place? We're going to worship him for just a few moments. Let's do that, okay? This is not a closing song. This is not a wrap it up. Let's worship the Lord and ask him what he's trying to say to us. If you need somebody to talk to, I'm going to be down front. If you'd like to pray with somebody, if you want to come pray by yourself, we won't bother you. Just want to kneel before the Lord. 
Sometimes there's something powerful about that, isn't there? Making a move. But you don't really want to talk to anybody. That's okay. If you want to do that tonight, if you've got a decision you need to make, maybe God spoke to you through Lindsay tonight, what a blessing it would be for her to know. I shared with her, it's very likely that God was going to use her testimony to speak to somebody tonight. What would a blessing you would be to her little heart and walk with the Lord to know that God used her to speak to you tonight? Do you need to accept Christ as your Savior? Would you say, God, I'm sorry I've been taking for granted the tremendous price that you paid for me. 